This week on the podcast, a little nonprofit news for the week of August 23rd. And we have Nick Azale here to talk us through the top line stories. Hey, Nick. Hey, George. How's it going? All right. Let's see what we have in the news. All right. So we have another busy news week in the world of nonprofit news. Our first story is about a viral fundraiser for Afghans that pits bountiful generosity, people wanting to make a difference and help, versus a logistical nightmare. Um, So a GoFundMe hosted by an Instagram personality, some kind of meme page person, um, has generated over $5 million in funds in an effort to support the airlift of the vulnerable Afghan people trying to flee Afghanistan. Um, The problem is that Organizing an evacuation from a war zone isn't necessarily easy. These funds are slated to go to a group called Raven Advisory. That's a um, you know security kind of contracting group, um, which has a history of providing uh, support in Afghanistan. Um, and according to a spokesperson for them, the funds raised are being used to engage aircraft crews and security operations. But um, it's generating a little bit of criticism from experts who are, are kind of questioning where this money is going, how a group um, is being able to, to do this privately, um, not only from the logistical sense, but also the immigration sense. Um, uh, for people coming to the U.S., they need visas or they're, they're not getting in. Um, so just kind of saying how we there's this tension between generosity and people trying to help, but the logistical complexity of the situation as well as the legal complexity of the situation. And I guess the takeaway here is that um, I think there's intrinsic value in GoFundMes like this, uh, you know, kind of show people's uh, support. It's an expression of support, even if those dollars themselves are not going to get Afghans out tomorrow. But um, still something to keep an eye on. It This is moving so quickly. In the land of GoFundMe, there is very little, to, if any, vetting into the feasibility of this work. And so the opportunity to put a, you know, a fairy tale out there, like donate money and I will save every single Afghan person possible. Like, I want to believe that. I'd love to believe that. I would love to say that like me giving money to this cause um, and this GoFundMe with no prior history or, you know, potential credential and doing this would, would get there. Um, and it diverts funds. And hopefully this this does in fact work, but uh, I think the criticism is is well warranted here in, in unvetted crowdfunding for very very important causes and nonprofits. You know, in other news, you know, you hear things like Airbnb saying, "No, we're going to be opening up thousands of tens of thousands uh, of homes for people that are being displaced that need a place to go." Like that makes sense to me. That's something tangible. They have the resources. They have the proven track record, and then they're putting that to use. Um, so, you know, uh, I think this highlights a, um, a potential downside to unvetted crowd fundraising on poignant moments, disasters that, um, divert funds and attention from maybe where they could and should be going. Um, though that said, heck, if they get, you know, an extra five planes out of there through the logistical nightmare, that it is, you know, that that may be worth it. Um, whether or not those would have been saved by the the U.S. military and the the formal negotiations negotiations already going on, um, I'm want to believe that that is the the better solution. 
Yeah, George, I absolutely agree with you and the nuance you added there. Um, yeah, you know, anything to help, but also uh, giving a shout out to, there are tons of um, refugee resettlement organizations in the States mm-hmm. that we'll talk a little mm-hmm. bit about later um, that are really going to be needing assistance and in, in helping all these people uh, start their new lives once they make their way to the States. Um, so a, a complex situation, but one to, to continue to stay in the loop on. I can jump into our next story, and this is about a report that shows that nonprofits may have really tipped the scales when it comes to increasing uh, participation in democracy. So this report comes from an organization called Nonprofit Vote, which tracks this sort of thing. And as reported by Business Insider, the report shows that nonprofits have real staying power when it comes to helping get out the vote. primarily in traditionally underserved or underrepresented communities. And the group analyzing organizations within their network uh, found that nonprofits helped more than 600,000 people um, get to the polls and vote um, in a situation where they may not have otherwise. They also found that underrepresented communities, including people of color or low-income earners um, or those without a college education saw the biggest increase in turnout when engaged by nonprofits. And I guess, George, this kind of makes sense in your head. Like we have these community-based organizations. They're well-equipped for things like helping get out the vote or maybe tackling something like uh, vaccine hesitancy. But it's cool to see this uh, play out empirically and see that it's these small organizations. It's these are the these are the this is the type of work that's tipping the scale, you know, not five hundred million dollars in TV spots. Yeah, the community based organizations that are able to turn out the vote and actually drive out the vote quite literally uh, matter. They have inroads in local communities. They have the trust of local communities. They're able to position these sort of larger Washington based narratives into what's happening in our backyard and how things might change and might be different. Um, I would push probably even beyond that saying, like, I know for a fact that it's probably well over 600,000 people because I can point to just one organization, a nonprofit, TurboVote, uh, through Democracy Works, who we've had on the podcast. And to date, they've, you know, since 2012, over 10 million voters have signed up for TurboVote, and that's uh, helping connect people to, uh, you know, voting uh, voting access, remote ballot, um, and, and uh, essentially <laughs> turning out the vote. Um, so, yeah, nonprofits are a massive engine for democracy in this country, especially when you're watching presidents and leaders and politicians get chosen by less than a stadium full of people over a handful of states. Each of those numbers kind of matter, don't they? The small margins make the big difference. All right. What do we have in the summary, Nick? Sure. So we're going to turn our attention back to the Afghanistan just because it is uh a dominant story, and there's lots of really different interesting angles here. We alluded to this earlier in the pod, but I wanted to touch base again um, with this story about an organization based out of Georgia. Um, and this nonprofit organization is expecting potentially up to 80,000 refugees to come to the United States. Um, the particular organization in this story called Inspiritus is a, a local refugee resettlement organization um, based out of Savannah, Georgia. Um, but this news clip shows their CEO 
uh, kind of making the case for supporting these local organizations. These are the organizations that are going to be um, helping uh, the Afghans who are restarting their lives here um, get their footing. Um, so I would recommend our listeners to do some research, find local organizations. There's tons of refugee resettlement organizations, both nationally as well as hyper-locally. Um, even local churches might have affiliations with refugee resettlement programs. So I'd encourage listeners, if they're interested in getting involved and learning more, um, to kind of go down that route. But this is going to be an all-hands-deck uh, hands on deck effort, and it's going to be nonprofits at the forefront without a doubt. Yeah, and the the group uh, weinspirit.org is accepting donations, and you know the the comment they made in in this um, in this interview is saying that uh, they have raised around four thousand dollars so far. You know, in sharp relief to the five million being you know, spent to try to get a plane, to try to get into the border without any plan afterward. Like this is the organization where that goes. And this is like when you're drawing oxygen and sending, um, and sending your, your, your checks and your gratitude, uh, your checks and your generosity, you know, this is the the type of work that is, that is going to ensure the, the safety of um, Afghans that are being relocated. Absolutely. I want to turn our attention to another Afghanistan story, just a slightly different perspective, um, the situation on the ground there. Um, And this is an opinion piece um, from The Guardian, and the title is, I am an Afghan woman working for a Western NGO. I feel forgotten. Um, So the the angle here and partly why this particular story is gain so much attention is all these people in Afghanistan, the NGO workers, the USAID contractors, the the translators, interpreters, all sorts of people who worked with us um, or Western NGOs or nonprofits um, are are potentially stuck there. Um, So that's just kind of uh, the gist of this piece, making it really tough. Um, We know that there are lots of really reputable organizations that are working on the ground and will continue to operate on the ground. but just kind of giving a, a shout out to these these people um, for for doing an incredible work and just um, acknowledging what kind of a a tense situation um, they they are. This is a difficult situation, um, particularly for organizations based in the U.S. but with Afghan staff or Afghanistan based staff. Um, so uh, worth worth reading this this op ed here. Yeah, this is important to understand the true story, many stories um, uh, of on the ground, but, you know, what it actually means and through the lens of, you know, uh, a nonprofit working for women's rights, but then inside of that own nonprofit, a woman saying like this, you know, this is going to send us back decades and I now fear for my safety, my freedom, and, you know, I, I can't escape. Absolutely. All right, I'll turn our attention to um, a different story, and this one, um, maybe not all that more optimistic or or happy, is about the organization Time's Up, which is under new scrutiny for its uh, 
potential conflict of interest in its uh, relation between some of its uh, leadership and the Cuomo administration. Um, So Andrew Cuomo, the former governor of New York, as we're recording this on Tuesday, um, has stepped down amid sexual harassment allegations. And uh, as it turns out, the Time's Up organization, a nonprofit started by particularly um, powerful um, or or well-known folks within the Hollywood and entertainment industry to call attention to uh, sexual harassment and assault, um, it turns out that they had potentially more of a uh, conflict of interest here, as it seems like leadership were potentially advising the Cuomo administration, um, and it's kind of long, uh, somewhat convoluted uh, connections, um, some more strong than others. Um, we, we're, uh, it's worth reading uh, the full article here, um, but it just goes to show that um, sometimes uh, nonprofits, you know, nonprofits trying to change national conversations are going to work with um, political administrations, um, but you know, they, they, they shouldn't get too close. They're, those relationships can get quite complicated. Um, so just kind of a little interesting uh, uh, a story to come out of this. Yeah, that's the other side of the coin when you, you know, push in with a major, uh, a major political official that sometimes your fates are tied there. Um, this actually, there's a, there's a GoFundMe thread here kind of tying in is the, that they, they did in fact get, you know, 24 million raised, um, back a number of years ago through a, through a major GoFundMe. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, you know, it's a great organization, uh, doing important work for sure. Um, but, uh, something to be mindful of. And there's a, a quote from, uh, Tarana Burke, um, who says that the organization just kind of didn't anticipate how uh, being, you know, close to, to politicians, otherwise, you know, progressive politicians can create conflicts of interest on the road. Um, so interesting, interesting story, if not a, a cautionary tale here. Our last story, pivoting again to a different part of the world, is, of course, we have to revisit Haiti. And this story from the New York Times, um, again, highlights that potentially uh, a a dire situation there, um, still reeling from the impacts of a hurricane, um, as well as a month ago, um, the the political fallout from the assassination of their president. Um, The the country is in in need of... uh, shouldn't say need of assistance, but um, it, it's it's struggling. It's going through a, a tough period here. And this article highlights that how uh, um, while donors were really quick to respond to the earthquake in the beginning, the this confluence of other really timely events like the stuff happening in Afghanistan, the COVID surge here has potentially diverted attention away um, from this humanitarian disaster um, when they need it most. Um, and this article goes on to say that, uh, you know, with dwindling attention, as well as kind of criticism of previous uses of aid money, both by um, some of the larger uh, U.S. contracted organizations, as well as the Haitian government itself, um, that kind of donor responses might be a little bit more tepid this time around, which is really unfortunate because the country needs assistance. Um, but 
there's also kind of this other narrative of, um, you know, does the systems create lasting change? There is one uh, statistic in here that there's approximately 3,000 NGOs operating in the country. Um, so really complicated. Uh, humanitarian assistance and international development is really, really hard. Often the problems are kind of larger than just what one organization can solve. But we we wish that this... Uh, that people continue to follow this, um, continue to see folks who need assistance, particularly disaster assistance, um, and you know, express generosity. But another tough situation here for the Haitians. Yeah, we did some analysis on Google Trends and looking at the the drop off. Actually, it's quite significant in 2010, uh, the the earthquake and aftermath of um, you know coverage and support. Uh, actually garnered a lot more attention for a lot longer um, in terms of overall search incidents. And we'll be posting this uh, in the, the days, weeks to come. Uh, but looking at what happened when uh, essentially this happened, the earthquake happened, uh, and then at the same time, essentially Hubble fell, um, it actually had a depressing cycle, uh, depressing effect on the overall news coverage and search interest in it. And if search interest drops, if attention is reduced on a disaster, so to follow the donations. So there's just going to be fewer donations. And, uh, you know, in terms of the, the recovery and effort, like a 7.2 magnitude earthquake, that 0.2 may not seem like a lot over the seven magnitude earthquake that happened 10 years ago, but actually that 0.2 equates to a, an effective impact of 2x, twice as powerful, an earthquake twice as powerful and with probably half as much, if if that amount of support added. The death toll, thankfully, isn't nearly as high as the, you know, 250,000 plus number because the Port-au-Prince was so heavily populated. But make no mistake, the, the damage is real to the surrounding areas, to any structures, infrastructure, uh, hospitals, which, by the way, you're in a pandemic. You know, it's um, it's mounting, but it's, uh, it's also resurfacing these conversations uh, about, uh, you know, how effective that aid was and, and what it actually did to the country. And uh, there's a, it says, um, there's a quote in here, donations toward immediate relief will bring doctors and rescuers still pinned under concrete, stranded by floodwaters and fleeing the storm. Uh, but this is from uh, Jonathan M. Katz, uh, who's uh, an author who wrote The Big Truck That Went By, How the World Came to Save Haiti and Left Behind a Disaster. And so uh, it's... Um, Still evolving. And again, consider when you're writing a check to say, hey, how do we support this over the period of time it's going to take uh, with trusted organizations working on the ground? Absolutely. Uh, George, do we have as nonprofit professionals any sources that we like to turn to for looking at um, maybe nonprofit trustworthiness? Are there any sites we use or are things to look out for that might be beneficial? Yeah, you know, I, I hesitate to say the sort of uh, tried and true type of guide stars and overhead. I would say that if you're looking at the larger the program, the more specific, hopefully, the, the work on the ground is. Uh, you know, full disclosure, we've worked with AmeriCares, who actually has operations that are going on uh, in in Haiti and a, a number of others. You have to follow follow the money and look for the programs that are on the ground and decide if you are somebody who is opening their wallet to help uh, immediate recovery or long-term rebuilding um, and then how, how that's supported. When you're looking at how dollars hit, how dollars actually go to work, 
You also have to be incredibly careful that you're not, you know, for instance, putting out of business any local uh, local economies, for example, flooding an entire economy with, I don't know, let's say a ton of never-ending shoes. Well, there's no company, there's no small business that can ever survive if someone's over in the corner giving away free shoes, free clothes, and never and like an, an unending supply of X is going to hurt a community's ability to fish and feed themselves and, and to create the systems that will let them uh, actually take ownership over their rebuilding. It's complicated and, you know, just throwing names out is, is hard. It's easier in the recovery. Like, all right, we're saving people from collapsed buildings versus rebuilding them. And by the way, when you go in and rebuild a thousand homes, 10,000 homes, and then you swoop out, have you really actually helped the local construction economy and, and train skilled workers to do that? And these are things that we're evolving and getting better at, but uh, you know, do you know you have to do the work a bit it's the same way of investing your money if you run around and say hey i got this great penny stock for you dump it in you're going to double your money you're like well i have questions yet we don't seem to have that sort of like you know that trigger in our in our uh in our life this seems too good to be true you think you're just going to fly like 50 planes into a war zone where the u.s can't get that sounds right we can do that like we have to have some of that sensitivity built up and i think the rising generation is getting is getting better uh, at doing that work. And, you know, long answer short, uh, no, there's no single source that I completely trust. I try to triangulate and and understand as best I can the intended and unintended consequences of uh, direct aid and rebuilding aid. That was a great and I think insightful answer. I agree with a lot. I gave you no answer whatsoever. Like, you know, <laughs> it's about, no, it's about a as helpful as like, do your homework. Yeah, um, but those are the things to consider when you do your homework. I think that's the more important rubric. I'd say. Yeah, I agree, and I think you make the 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 point there though that the organizations that are going to be most effective are not just throwing money or materials at the problem. They're building. They're working within the communities. So, partners, not saviors. That's what we're looking for. Mm, I like it. All righty, Nick. This is <laughs> this has not been our most uplifting. Uh, nonprofit news podcast. What do we have for our feel-good story? Sure. I got a feel-good story. Um, this is about a nonprofit um, out of Michigan that is rescuing racehorses and giving them places to rehabilitate and live and roam free and do whatever it is that horses do in their free time. Um, so there's a couple of different uh, angles here, organizations, um, kind of uh, charitable farms, and there's an organization called Beyond the Roses. Um, and these nonprofits help these horses find new homes and live out their days um, not racing. Um, so just kind of a, a cool story, taking in these, these animals. Um, and... Yeah, lots of lots of stuff goes into taking care of horses. These are <laughs> complicated animals, require a lot of work, and uh, it turns out a lot of uh, a lot of funds <laughs> to make this happen. But I um, just want to highlight nonprofits uh, taking care of animals, and we've have a couple of animal welfare organizations um, uh, on our roster that we've been uh, had a real pleasure to work with. Um, so this is an issue that is near and dear to the heart of whole whale. Absolutely, protecting protecting the animals. I don't think history is going to look that fondly back on our 
horse racing industry. Um, one stat here from the ASPCA, about 40,000 horses are, were shipped um, outside of the U.S. over the borders because it's illegal to slaughter a horse uh, in the U.S., but not necessarily so in, um, in, in countries across the border. So it is, a, it is a sport in quotes that it shouldn't stand the test of time and great to see an organization giving, um, you know, giving refuge to those horses. All right, Nick, thank you as always for giving us the summary, the rundown, and the information about nonprofits in the news. Nonprofitnewsfeed.com has a free, handy email summarizing with all the links for you. A lot of that work done by Nick. Thanks, Nick. Sure, George. This has been Using the Whole Whale podcast. If you want to keep learning more about these topics and others, head on over to wholewhale.com slash university to keep learning with us. Thanks as always to Greg Thomas Music.org for his tunes that underwrite our tracks. They're fantastic. Hope you're doing well, Greg. And just a reminder, subscribes really help us on any platform that you listen to us on. Please give a thought to click and subscribe and maybe even a comment because we like hearing from you. 